Saints fans, Pelicans fans, let's go. This is the Black and Blue Report. Black. Three is going to go deep. He's got ground. Touchdown. Blue. Down the lane. Shoots. No. Tip follow in for Davis with three tenths of a second left. Welcome into the podcast for the fans, straight from the teams they love. It's good to see you guys, and uh, I didn't know we had Studio B here in our facility. Good setup. Now that I know where your guys' little office is, I can pop in here whenever I want. Well, we're playing through AD, and so everybody's going to have to adjust to that. Coaches, players, analysts, celebrities, and more. That guy's Anthony Mackie. I've gotten in many of our arguments about the Pelicans and the Saints uh, over the years. Harry Connick Jr. joins us here on the Black and Blue Report. Undoubtedly, to me, the Saints are the singular reason that New Orleans is back on the map. Hoda Kotb from the Today Show on NBC, our guest. You know, New Orleans gets in your blood. The Saints never leave it once they get in there. This is the Black and Blue Report, straight from the source. No appointment radio. Wherever, whenever. Now, from Studio B, or from wherever the Saints or Pelicans might be, here's Sean Kelly. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome into the Black and Blue Report. I'm Sean Kelly. This is the podcast for Saints and Pelicans fans. And greetings today from Studio B on Airline Drive. Saints and Pelicans hard at work again today. There is uh, news afoot, and uh, we'll share as much as we can with you with regards to your two favorite teams in New Orleans. First on the NBA side, mm, tough loss last night. There's no doubt about it. Falling to the Rockets 95-93, a 17-point lead in the first half lost, and the game itself lost. And so the Pelicans now have lost four in a row, and overall in the season find themselves at 37-34. and More from head coach Sean Payton on the Saints side today as we wrap up our coverage of the NFL owners' meetings out in Phoenix. We'll share um, kind of the rest of what uh, Coach Payton had to say uh, in his nearly hour-long presser. We played some of that for you yesterday. We'll hit you some more of the highlights today. And we'll also expand our sports knowledge of horse racing. The Louisiana Derby is on Saturday at the fairgrounds. Marcus Hirsch from the Daily Racing Forum is our guest for the first time here on the Black and Blue Reports. Uh, Nine-horse field in race number 11. There are 14 races in all on Saturday. It's going to be a long day at the fairgrounds, but... Uh, the weather looks good, and it should be a great day of racing as we near the end of their uh, season, if this isn't the last weekend. I'm trying to – I think it might be. Anyway, Marcus Hirsch today to talk to us about the Louisiana Derby. All right, back to the Pelicans. Let's say this. The loss was tough last night, but if you're going to lose here in this uh, final dozen, uh, you need others to lose alongside you, and that's exactly what happened. The Thunder lost last night, so did the Phoenix Suns. So even with the loss – the Pelicans still remain three and a half games out of the eighth position in the Western Conference with now 11 to go. More on that in just a moment. First, though, the thoughts from head coach Monty Williams following last night's loss at Smoothie King Center. Tough one. Uh, we came out uh, shooting the ball well. We moved it well. Then I thought after that the ball stopped moving. Uh, we only had 20 assists for the game. Uh, we didn't shoot a horrible percentage. I mean, 45 is not bad. Um, our game plan was to keep them off the free throw line and cut down on their threes, and we did that. Uh, they just had 62 points in our paint. We couldn't stop the ball tonight. Just one-on-one -on -one guarding the ball um, was a struggle for us tonight. 
Did they make your team uncomfortable offensively? Yeah, I think so. I thought the pressure had us on our heels after the second, after the first quarter, and um, you know we only scored 18 in the second. Then we came out at halftime and only scored 18 in the third. That kind of changed it up for us a little bit. Coach, sometimes when you've had that that rough second quarter, you've been able to get them reset yeah. for the second half. Maybe not why tonight. I, you know, it's hard to say until I look at the film, but I, I think the ball just stopped moving. Uh, we didn't attack the paint. I thought we had opportunities to attack the paint tonight. We didn't, and um, we just couldn't get an offensive rhythm in the second half. Did they not allow Gordon to get any kind of a rhythm? He, he just didn't help you from the field. Yeah, he only got uh, five shots. Um, you know, it's, it's tough for him. He played 40 minutes. He should get more shots than that. I thought he could have taken a few of them that he had. He passed up, uh, but that happens. You're going to have to keep giving your team perspective after each one yeah. of these games. What did you say to them after this one? Well, it's, it's a tough loss. There's no, I, I was real with them. It's a tough loss. There's no other way to, to put it. I thought we, uh, we did a lot to ourselves tonight. We missed free throws. Uh, the game plan, like I said, was to you know, keep them off the line, uh, three-point line and free throw line. We did that. And so it's a tough loss. When you come out and have 34 points in the first quarter, uh, you expect to have a, a good rhythm, and we didn't have that. So there's, there's no need to try to you know, fix it with some type of metaphor. It's a tough loss, and we got to own it and try to get better. All right, a couple of things that you may have gleaned from the visit with Coach or uh, that if you just grabbed the box score itself. Look, last night the Pelicans missed 12 free throws, eight of which were missed by Anthony Davis. That hurts. Um, and also out-rebounded 43-37 to and kicked around in the paint pretty good by Houston 62-40. to um, a bad drought in the second and a continuation of that early third quarter is really kind of what spelled disaster for the Pelicans last night, who still lead the series against Houston 2-1 with one more meeting to go. But uh, this now makes uh, the last 11 even more difficult. Here's what I mean by that. Look, I think David Wesley and I yesterday on the Black and Blue Report said that 47 is the number. 47 wins would get you into the Western Conference playoffs. If you still hold that premise to be true, that means the Pelicans would have to go 10-1 and one over the last 11. That may or may not be the case. But let's just say this. Let's, let me look at this one other way for you today as we get set for Sacramento tomorrow night and then Minnesota on Sunday to wrap up the homestand. You're three and a half out. You have the tie break on Oklahoma City. So you just have to, to get, get back to them at this point. If we just take both teams' next four games, okay, this is potentially how it could shake out. Look, for the Pelicans, the next four go like this. Sacramento at home, Minnesota at home, at the Lakers, and then at Sacramento. With the exception of at Sacramento, which is going to be a little more difficult than, say, facing Boogie Cousins and the Kings here, these are four very winnable games against four teams who are not in the playoff picture whatsoever. They're not fighting for a better seed. They're not fighting to get in, period. So those are the next four for the Pelicans. The question you then ask is, what are the next four games for the Oklahoma City Thunder? Well, listen to this. They lost yesterday to San Antonio. All right, Now their road trip continues at Utah, who's been very, very good defensively and is very difficult to play at Energy Solutions Arena. Their road trip then takes them to Phoenix, also a team battling, obviously, in this hunt for the playoffs, then home against Dallas, and then at Memphis. So they go Utah, Phoenix, Dallas, Memphis. Their degree of difficulty, at least for the next four, higher than that of the Pelicans. So let's, let's say this goes well for the Pelicans and their fans. 
You win four, they lose four. You go three and one, they go one and three during the next four. All of a sudden now, things even out with six to go for the Thunder and seven to go for the Pelicans. I don't want what I'm saying is I don't want you to look at last night's game and say, just kick it, kick the can down the street. This is done. It's not done yet. It won't be easy, but it's not done yet. All right. So with that being said, let's take our first break. When we come back, we're going to hear from Anthony Davis, get a little more reaction to last night's ball game at Smoothie King Center. And then we'll turn our attention back to head coach Sean Payton on the Saints side. And as we mentioned, Marshall Hirsch from the or Marcus Hirsch, rather, from the Daily Racing Forum here on this Thursday. The playoff pushes on as your New Orleans Pelicans fight for the postseason. Join us this Wednesday at 7 p.m. at the Smoothie King Center for another guys' night out against the Houston Rockets. This ticket package includes two tickets, four beers, plus we'll throw in two free t-shirts, all for as low as $46. Grab your pals to get on board for guys' night out. Call 525-HOOP or visit pelicans.com to get your tickets today. I'm Tom Richards. I'm 35 years old, vice president of sales at a regional paper company. Six months ago, we decided to transition to one of those cool collaborative open space offices. So now I sit in the open next to three other sales managers, which means there's nothing separating me from... (coughs) Not getting Carl's nasty cold and missing a sales opportunity this winter? That is my purpose. Blend it now. Try the Immune Builder Smoothie at Smoothie King. It's the tastiest way to stay healthy this winter. Smoothie King. Smoothies with a purpose. This is Anthony Davis, and you're listening to the Black and Blue Report. 17,077 last night at Smoothie King Center. They saw Anthony Davis get yet another double-double, and his 24 points was second most on the Pelicans. Tyreek Evans had 28, but Anthony Davis, um, I don't know if you're aware or not, after the game went back out and shot a crazy amount of free throws trying to get that uh, stroke back down. Uh, He was really, really down on the fact that he missed eight free throws in the ball game last night, he shot more free throw attempts than the Rockets combined. The Rockets average, average 25 free throw attempts as a team per game. They had 12 last night. So the Pelicans did accomplish one of their goals in keeping Houston off of the free throw line. And they also kept Houston from raining down threes at the Smoothie King Center. Houston went 6 of 22. But in the end, uh, those 62 points in the paint for the Rockets part of the difference Anthony Davis obviously uh, a part of a well not real happy locker room following the two-point loss to the Rockets started making shots James were getting into the basket um, finishing around the room and we tried to step up on the he made right place feel good that's kind of a scary moment there at first huh looks like that's really bothering you and you just came back I just want to be on the floor so do whatever I have to do to stay on the floor Talk about, um, I saw you come back out on the court after the game and work on free throws. Um, I understand the context going, you know, 6 of 14 from the line, but just can you kind of tell us what you were thinking at that point? Um, uh, missed eight free throws. I mean, I don't feel comfortable missing eight free throws, especially when we lost by two. You know, um, make eight free throws, we win by six, you know, so um, I just don't like that. I don't. Like missing free throws, um, especially like that, especially throughout the game when we needed them and I missed them. So, uh, 
want to go out there and you know, try to figure it out and you know, work on my free throws. Did you figure it out? I did. You haven't done that before? No. No. I mean, they're a great team. You know, hats off to them. They made big plays and, um, you know, rebound the ball, offensive rebounds, you know, for second chance points. And, um, you know, a team like that, when you get them up 17, you got to keep pushing. You know, I think that second quarter, we, we kind of, you know, played too cool, though, you know, the game was over. You know, and they came out, you know, James came out and was playing hard and making plays and um, for himself and for teammates. And, you know, against a team like that, who got so much talent and so much experience, you know, when you have a team on by 17, you got to try to, you know, um, put your foot in their throat. New Orleans is back on the uh, practice floor across the parking lot from us today here on Airline Drive. They're working out this morning. By the way, tomorrow night is uh, Pierre the Pelican's big party. He'll have a bunch of mascot friends here to celebrate um, the, I guess, giving away of 8,000 Pierre the Pelican bobbleheads. First 8,000 fans get those tomorrow night. There are still some tickets available. And then the homestand wraps up on Sunday against uh, Minnesota. And uh, we want to note that because that start time is at 3 o'clock. Tip off at 3 o'clock on Sunday. All right, let's take a break. We'll turn our attention over to the football side of things and get more from Saints head coach Sean Payton right after this. Once again, you stayed longer and spent more money gambling than you planned. You told yourself it would never happen again, but it has. Now you have to tell your family you lost money gambling. If you or a family member has a gambling problem, treatment services are available for Louisiana residents at no cost. Call now. It's free and confidential. 1-877-770-STOP. That's 1-877-770-STOP. A message from the Louisiana Department of Health and Hospitals Office of Behavioral Health. Pelicans fans, be sure to download the team's official app so you can play our new game, Quest for the Coast, presented by Chevron. Help Pierre the Pelican save the coast in this infinite flying adventure. Save as many miles of the coast as you can before the water rises. This fun, interactive game includes a basketball bonus round and educational facts about the environment provided by the Audubon Nature Institute. Quest for the Coast, presented by Chevron. Available only on the Pelicans app. Download it today. We're talking Saints football on the Black and Blue Report. Well, the NFL owners meetings in Phoenix wrapped up yesterday. Roger Goodell kind of put a, a, a bow on it with his press conference. I don't necessarily want to play any Roger Goodell sound for you today, but I do want to follow up and finish up what we gathered from Saints head coach Sean Payton. Uh, thanks again to our digital media crew for getting that. We played some of his uh, presser yesterday for you on the Black and Blue Report. I did want to highlight a couple of other things talked about with the uh, coach yesterday uh, one of which is of course the addition of CJ Spiller whom uh, everyone in this building over here on airline drive is very excited about I think CJ himself is pretty excited too uh, this is a versatile running back that the Saints add to their offensive attack this coming uh, summer and fall and certainly Sean Payton had plenty to say about the addition of CJ Spiller honestly to start the free agency period I don't know that he was a target of ours well he, I know he wasn't he, that became something after the first three or four days where there was some interest, a little bit more momentum. Um, and then it was, hey, coach, you need to watch these three games. Hey, let's go back and look at this two-season study. Let's go back. And you're watching this player, and all 
the things that you would hear from a, a scout that studied him. You know, you're skeptical and you put the film on and he's dynamic. I mean, I, you don't realize. And I remember when he came out. But man, there's some there's some snaps on film where he's the fastest guy in the stadium and it's not even close. So he comes on the visit, you get a chance to meet and be around him. You know, it's all football. Uh, and then it's like, man, Mickey, we can't let this guy leave the building without a contract. <laughs> I mean, really, um, he's impressive. I think he loves football. And so immediately you start thinking. And I, and I think, look, I think a running back understands the attrition in 16 games. And and quite honestly, there's some you know, games where he's like the one guy that they're getting the ball to offensively. And there's a lot of eight-man, there's a lot of stress that goes into that player physically. But when, when he can be part of a group, uh, I think he can play longer. And and then when you look at his yards per touch or yards per carry, I think that can be a better number, more efficient number. Sean, uh, how about we, let me finish. I think that, uh, I think he, when, when I give the vision to him and the agent and we talk, uh, it wasn't a response where I need X number of carries a game. I need, it, it was the opposite. It was like, man, put me in these spots coach I've heard about <laughs> you know and it was it was it was exciting uh, CJ Spiller is he kind of someone you see as being a flexible piece of absolutely his cut up is unbelievable now I'm not talking about last season because I think it became ch challenging but if you go back a couple of years and start looking at a screen reel a sweep wheel and it, you know a sweep reel a return reel so when you watch his film you just think of a lot of things he can do uh, he's physical. He's the most explosive player on the field a lot of times when you're watching him. And you know, and someone who's been in the AFC <clears throat> East, it's not like we see a lot of CJ Spiller, you know, on film. And so he's an exciting player that clearly heading into free agency, there wasn't any thought about. And then after that first rush, there was some interest, uh, and I think to his agent's credit, they, they looked at it from a from a how he was going to be used standpoint, the system, the offense, and wanting to be a part of it. And uh, we feel the same way. Well, it's a good question. I think there's some differences. Uh, you see him in the last year and a half getting a lot of these off-tackle handoffs and wide zone plays. Um, I think that. Uh, Darren's got this unique quickness that's hard to, 10 steps can take place in a second. Uh, Spiller can hit the edge and all of a sudden go 80, you know, and, and so you see a route tree from Darren that's pretty encompassing and, and in, from CJ you see X number of routes. So I'm anxious to see some of the things he can do in the passing game. Uh, I think he's a little bit bigger. You know, when you look at his size uh, and he walks in the room, but they're both playmakers that are explosive. So there'd be a lot of similarities that way. You know, how do we get him touches uniquely in the screen game? How do we get him touches maybe in the empty packages? Um, I would say the one most, the, the thing that's most apparent though is, is you can tell, I know, uh, I know how much Darren loves playing and you could tell that you get that feel from CJ the same way. I mean, it's everything to him, you know. And that you can't uh, you can't put a value on that enough. I mean, they really love playing, and that's contagious. 
And then, of course, there's the other side of the Jimmy Graham deal. Max Unger is a guy that now um, really shores a lot of things up on the interior of the Saints offensive line. Uh, clearly willing to spend a lot. Sean Payton uh, wanted this guy, this target for this upcoming season. First, we heard yesterday from Sean Payton on Max Unger. When you go back and look at some of our when you see him in, in this would go for all the quarterbacks in our league. In other words, we, we talk on certain games about this spot two yards behind the center is like the most important piece of property in football. If we can occupy that spot, then we're going to win the game. Now, that sounds kind of simple, but so that means there's got to be some strength. That means there's got to be some thought given to your protections. It can't just be one. Obviously, there were years when you, when Carl Nix and Jari Evans and, and uh, uh, Goody or, you know, Fane before. So that inside pocket's critical. Probably the most important play in the Super Bowl. If you went back and you looked at it all over again and said, what's the most, there's a third and like 15. New England's down. And Tom steps, 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 and he hits his second window deep into, uh, I think it's Edelman, or I want to say it was a third and 15 or third and 20, but the point I'm making is, man, he's got that clean climb in the pocket. But that gets muddy, man. It's tough to play that position. It's tough to play it. Does Drew accept that for giving up Graham? No, listen, I think... Yeah, he's too understands the, the challenges of of, uh, of of winning. You know, he understands that. He also understands that. Hey, it'd be nice if we could get to 26 points and win by seven <laughs> instead of feeling like we're down 10. Coach also talked about a couple of different things. Of course, he kind of shot down the Drew Brees uh, trade speculation. Um, mentioned what we kind of already knew about the Jarris Bird rehab from Jarris himself. That continues to remain on course and is all good. And then the continued uh, rise here of Josh Hill, who uh, probably will see a lot more uh, in a, maybe even a, a more distinct role, at least offensively, as already he's shown himself uh, as adequate on that uh, in that phase of the game. And certainly we already know about his special teams uh, play here this past season. Here's head coach Sean Payton now on Josh Hill. This Josh Hill, you know, is uh, another player that I love. I love. When you look at his run, jumps, height, weight, speed, you look at his measurables, he'd go to the, and he didn't go to the combine, thank God. <laughs> There's no way. But it, we were doing this study last year with the draft class, and they were talking about some of the top picks at tight end. And, and so the scouts had the board. Well, the problem is this is human nature, but the scout would see the free agent tight end and kind of say, well, he'll come in year one and probably beat out Josh Hill. And I'm like, he will. I said, well, let's throw the numbers up on the board with their measurables. And all of a sudden, Josh Hill, he's a 38-inch vertical jump. He's an 11 broad. He's a 10 to three cone, whatever. And he's going against the comparables, one of the top tight ends in the draft a year ago. I said, in every category, this guy's better. And there's this perception we're the same way as coaches. If we acquire someone in free agents, as a free agent after the draft, there's this perception, well, he's... And, but if you really look at the film and watch him, you're like, hey, if I told you this is our third round draft pick, we'd be excited right now. We just got to get that little jersey off his back that says, I came here as a free agent. And 
I think that uh, we feel like he's, he's got a bright future. All right, so obviously the free agency period now continues, and very shortly now we'll kind of turn our attention toward the NFL draft. And um, look, anybody uh, who thought that any coach or GM was going to tell you anything about their plans for the draft, um, well, let's just remember what this is all about. So take it for what you will, and uh, we'll look forward to um, the NFL draft upcoming as the Saints have a very, very busy several weeks ahead preparing for all those draft picks. I think good times Good times are still ahead here, obviously, in building the Saints roster for 2015. We'll take a break, and we'll continue on the Black and Blue Report. It's Thursday here at the World Headquarters of the Saints and Pelicans. Stay with us. Racing fans, you won't want to miss the Professional Drag Racers Association Cajun Nationals Pro Mod at Thunder Road Raceway Park in Gilliam, Louisiana, just outside of Shreveport. This exciting event runs April 30th through May 2nd. For more information, visit www.racetrrp.com. And while in town, enjoy great gaming action, shopping, food, and nightlife. For additional things to see and do, visit shreveport-bossier.org or call 888-45-VISIT. The future is now for the New Orleans Pelicans as all-star Anthony Davis has become one of the elite players in the NBA. 2015-16 season tickets are now on sale, so make sure to secure early bird pricing and receive special gifts as part of our parade of prizes. Season ticket holders receive great benefits, including access to exclusive team events, plus savings on concessions and merchandise. Be part of the best fan experience in the NBA by calling 525-HOOP or visiting pelicans.com today. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. We want to take a moment and shine a light on a big event coming up this weekend that does not have anything to do with the Saints or the Pelicans, but it certainly does have something big to do with the New Orleans and Louisiana sports scene and the sport of Kings itself. Horse racing I'm talking about, and as the season winds down over the fairgrounds, the Louisiana Derby is a part of a very big and long day here on Saturday. To help us deal with this, or at least learn a little bit more about it, is Marcus Hirsch. He joins us from the Daily Racing Forum, and I think he joins us from Dubai, which, well, good evening, Marcus. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Wonderful. We're, we're very excited. The weather looks to be great for Saturday, and it looks like an interesting field here for the Derby. Um, will you help our listeners and me, since I'm I'm not an expert on horse racing, but the impact or the meaning of what the Louisiana Derby is not only for our area here in Louisiana, but the greater sport of horse racing? Well, this is the season where racing is focused on three-year-olds, mainly three-year-old colts, and the Kentucky Derby is the high point of the first part of the year. Um, it beats the, the too great an extent, some people would say. But in any case, the Louisiana Derby is in the same division as the Kentucky Derby. It's for it's for three-year-olds, and um, I think these races like this get they get diminished a little bit. They call it a Kentucky Derby pub. I mean, there's so much focus on that race and the Triple Crown, the the Derby, the Preakness, and the Belmont that um, these important races like this are all seen as means to an end. The end being the Derby, but. This race, Louisiana Derby, was a million dollars for a while. It still offers a purse of $750,000, 60% of which will go to the winner. And that's a substantial sum. And, you know, they come accordingly. There there are horses from Florida, from Arkansas, from California, and then a group of local horses, too. And part of what they're doing is 
trying to earn their way into the Kentucky Derby, which is a race that seemingly everyone wants to run these days, but also competing in an important race in its own right. So does the winner of the Derby, the Louisiana Derby, get a spot in the Kentucky Derby, or is there a point system involved? Yes and yes. Okay. <laughs> um, the way that Churchill Downs, they can run 20 horses in the Kentucky Derby. Some people say that's too many. It, it can be chaotic and difficult for some horses. Um, and it used to be that 20, the connections of 20 horses wouldn't be interested necessarily in running in a given year. But all that's changed. Like I said a moment ago, there's such a tremendous focus on getting horses to this race, the Kentucky Derby, that every year now more than 20 horses, the connections of more than 20 horses want to run. So the way that Churchill Downs came up with of, of getting the field set is by accumulating points. Um, they chose a series of races and said that they were going to be worth X number of points. The Louisiana Derby is one of the, it's part of the last and most important round. So the horse that wins will get a hundred points and that's enough to get in. That's, that's If you get a hundred points, you're going to make the field. And even the second place horse is almost certain to get into the Kentucky Derby. If, if, um, the horse is in good enough shape to contest it. So, yes, the top finishers in this race will almost certainly, if they are healthy enough and their owners aren't from another planet, they'll be in the Kentucky Derby the first Saturday. All there. right. Okay. So a lot at stake here, obviously, financially and, of course, uh, with regard to the next step for these three-year-olds. This is race 11 on Saturday. It'll go for a mile and an eighth or nine furlongs. Uh, with regard to where three-year-olds are and the Derby itself, the Kentucky Derby, um, what does the length mean with regards to the Louisiana Derby? Well, the Kentucky Derby is a mile and a quarter, so it's an eighth of a mile farther. Okay. Um, and this this distance is about as far as horses will be running in this stage of their career. And American racing is geared toward races at a mile and below for the most part. So this is... Um, I mean, that's what's interesting about it is this, even though the Kentucky Derby's mile and a quarter is considered a classic distance, and it's interesting to see horses run that far, the bulk of races are contested at a distance much shorter than that, at least in the state. And this race will be farther than almost all of these horses ever will have run in their life. There are, only, there are a handful of horses, maybe even just one, that have gone this far before. And it might not seem like a lot, um, the, the difference between a mile and a mile and any, it's a 220 yard difference, but it, it, in horse racing, it, it, it's a big difference. And this distance is where we'll start to separate horses that really have stamina and want to, want to you know, carry their speed from horses that just don't have as much stamina and their strength is more about going fast for a shorter distance. I mean, that's part of what this whole, spring and late winter season is about is sorting these horses out in terms of their distance preferences and seeing which ones really are meant to go on to, it, to longer distances like this race and the Kentucky Derby. Nine horses will run, Marcus. Is that a good number? In this day and age, yes. <laughs> it's not bad. Um, there have been larger fields, but this race didn't ever seem like it was going to attract a huge number of horses. I mean, you know, anyone who wanted to pay the nominating fees and the entry fees and and had properly you know made arrangements 
for their horse to be eligible to run could have run in this race. But, um, you know, smart horse people don't overmatch their horses. And the fact of the matter is that there were not a lot of really good three-year-olds at fairgrounds this winter. Maybe a few more, a few better fillies than, than Colts. It was, it just was kind of a down year in the division for whatever reason. And I think, you know, that's reflected accordingly um, in, in, in the race this year. You know, there, there's, you know, pretty much one significant contender in the race that's on paper, at least, that's been based all winter in New Orleans. And that's a small number for this race. Usually it's more than that. Tell me about the field. I guess we better start with International Star, who's going to start on the outside as the three-to-one favorite. What else stands out? Or at least tell me about that horse and what else stands out about the field. Well, that's a horse that has is, he's not been based at Fairgrounds, even though this will be his third start of the year at Fairgrounds. He's been flying over from Florida. His trainer, Mike Maker, actually does keep some horses at Fairgrounds, but this horse has not been among them. The horses he keeps there are of um, they're, you know, they're lesser stock, really. And so this horse will fly in a couple of days before the race. He'll train a day or two and then run and then fly back to Florida. Um, and it's worked so far. He, he's won the first two um, races leading to the Louisiana Derby at Fairgrounds, the Lecomte in January and the Risen Star in February. There, there have been other three-year-old stakes races at the meet, but those are the two going around two turns on dirt, which is the configuration of the Louisiana Derby. And he was successful in both of them, which is a little bit surprising because he would not have been that highly regarded coming into those races. He was nearly 10 to one the first time. And, um, he, he wasn't even favored in the risen star last month, even after having won Lecomte. He also wouldn't have started out the year being ranked as one of the top three-year-olds in the country, but he's a horse that's just gotten better through the early part of his three-year-old season and has really suited the, the racetrack there. And, um, this time you probably will be favored to win. Um, and his, the trainer, Mike Maker, and the owners, Ken and Tara Ramsey, they're some of the most, two of the most important owners in the country. They actually won the Louisiana Derby last year with a horse named Vickers in Trouble, who was the Louisiana bred. He also won the Lecomte. But it's very rare that a horse has won all three of those stakes races the same year. Um, well, it would have to be the same year because they'll no longer be eligible to run in them the next year. I think the last such horse to do that was uh, Frisian Fire, who won the Lecomte, the Risen Star, and Louisiana Derby. But then uh, in the Kentucky Derby, he ran poorly, and he was never the same horse again. So I don't know if it's a good thing necessarily to sweep the series. Marcus Hirsch with us from the Daily Racing Forum. Marcus, I, I don't know a lot. I mean, I'm just being honest with you. But is it is it rare or unique to have two horses uh, with two different owners, but both sired by Fusaichi Pegasus in this race? I mean, it just seems somewhat no, unique. it would not no? be that rare. Okay. Some, some of the sires, they will, um, they will be bred to more than 100 mares every breeding season. So that year, these horses were all born three years ago. They were foals of 2012. There may have been 100 foals that year born that were sired by Fusaichi Pegasus. I'm not sure that he in particular sired them any horses. He was a Kentucky Derby winner and he won quite well. He started out as a sire quite strongly but his star faded for whatever reason. His stud fee now is about $7,500 which is you know relatively low. There mm. are 
some horses, the most popular ones stand for a six-figure fee is just to breed to them once. So, no, it wouldn't be that unusual, but, it, I mean, it, it is noteworthy. You, you the, the chances are you wouldn't see more than one in the same race like this, um, but it's entirely possible, and, and, and it has come to pass, yeah. Let me ask you about two uh, two others in the field. Real quickly, obviously, the name's sure. Kent DeSormo. The jockey jump out, and he's – Mm-hmm. Uh, his horse is being trained by D. Wayne Lucas. So those are those are blue blood names in horse racing, and they have Mr. Z. Uh, any thoughts about that horse? And I think that's starting at the number two position. Yeah, well, Mr. Z is a, is a good horse, but um, if you look at the past performances, the record of his races, kind of the historical record for every horse, you'll see that he has, he's won one time in 10 starts. He, has, he won his very first race last June, and he's run nine times since and has lost every time. But the interesting thing is he's been second four times and third three times. Hmm. He's a he's a quirky horse, they they would say about him, in that he, he's got some strange habits. He, he's, he hasn't run straight in a lot of his races. Late in the race, he's drifted out. He drifted out really significantly a couple times. And he just, he, he's been all over the place. It, he They've... The trainer, the Hall of Fame trainer, Wayne Lucas, who has won the Kentucky Derby several times, has tried this, he's tried that. He's tried many different things, trying to get this horse to act properly during a race. I mean, I thought he was a little better last time, and he's definitely talented enough to win this race if he can put everything together. It's the first time you mentioned Louisiana native Kent DeSormo was riding. First time he's ridden him, and maybe he would make a difference. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, War Story is uh, trained by a friend of the program, if you will. Uh, Tom Amos is a, yeah. a good friend of many here. Uh, he'll start War Story at least right in the middle there at six. Um, and, and from what I understand, and this is just talking to one or two people, a little trouble getting out of the gate, but then again, Tom Amos has had some success. What are your thoughts on that? Well, Tom Amos is one of the leading trainers at, at Grounds. He's going to probably win more races than any other trainer this year, which has happened many times in the past. But for all the success he's had, he's never won Louisiana Derby. He's won the other two races that come before it, the LeCompte and the Risen Star. But he has a legitimate chance with this horse. Um, He was owned and trained by somebody else when he began his career last year, and he, he was purchased privately after an auspicious debut performance and transferred to Amos. Um, and he's run three good races in a row. He has a win in two seconds. But you mentioned his issues in the starting gate. It has compromised him a bit in both of his races at in this year at Fairgrounds of the Compton, the Risen Star. And one might make the argument that had he broken out of the gate more alertly in either one of those races and obtained a better racing position, he could have won. Um, I know that they've been working with a horse. that They put some pads inside the starting gate to try to make less room for him to shift about and mm. get his get off balance when the gates open. You're hoping that makes a little bit of difference. I know that they'll cover every base. Tom Amos is like that. He's very detail-oriented. Um, and, you know, but sometimes you just get a horse who is like that, who, who is not good in the gates, and they be, they're creatures of habit, and they start doing things a certain way, and they keep doing them that way. Even if this horse does break poorly, though, um, it's a longer race than he's been in so far, and that could be of some benefit to him. I think that uh, he's a horse that's growing and improving right now, and he has a chance to run the best race of his life Saturday while ridden for the first time by another local a local boy made good, Jockey Joe Talamo. Mm-hmm. 
who was leading rider several years ago. The first year he started out as a jockey. Now it's made a successful career in Southern California. All right, let's get to brass tacks here, Marcus. If you were going to put part of your paycheck down on this race, um, what would you go to the window with? <laughs> do you even do that? <laughs> uh, uh, I don't. I, I wouldn't be betting a lot on this race because I don't have a strong opinion. I know that's wishy-washy, but the, the one horse that I, I like, the horse I really like on the whole day is in a different race. His, his name is Chocolate Ride, and he's in the Mervyn Muniz race eight. That's the horse I would be taking some money out of the paycheck to bet. If I were forced to bet this race, I'd probably bet War Story, but probably not to win. I would bet him in an exacta, trying to pick the first and second place finishers and, and fool around with that and try to go that way. Okay. All right. Very good. I, I hope I didn't insult your intelligence by this interview. <laughs> I was a little nervous talking to it's, you, Marcus. It's hard not it's hard to insult my intelligence as low as it is, especially at this crazy time difference. And my sleep pattern is beyond chaotic at this point. In fact, I don't know that I have a brain any longer. Well, that's fair. And uh, so we'll match wits in that form. <laughs> uh, when do you come home, Marcus? <laughs> um, I, come home, I come home Sunday. There's a huge race here on Saturday, a uh, $10 million race called the Dubai World Cup. So that's Saturday night, which is Saturday afternoon back in the States. This Saturday, I got to say, it's like one of it's probably the biggest day of racing so far this year. There are big races in Florida, uh, some in California, and Fairgrounds is going to be a focal point too. Uh, if your listeners have a chance, it, I do. The forecast looks tremendous. I think it would be a great day to get out to the track and and see some excellent racing. To get more of you, do they go to drf.com? Is that the best way to go? Absolutely, drf.com. Um, we actually have a something there called DRF Live. I'm a major contributor to that. You know, we there's we have news stories, but DRF Live is a place where there we have updates, you know, in real time and there'll be a lot of commentary there about the races at Fairgrounds this weekend. All right, it's the Daily Racing Forum. It's Marcus Hirsch who was fantastic with us today. I'm I'm more educated than ever before. Enjoy <laughs> Dubai and all the racing on Saturday. Uh, I I I do enjoy watching and this is the time of year that I think People like me pay attention. So from now until, you know, Memorial Day, it's pretty good. So, Marcus, thanks a lot. I yeah. hope that we can have you on again, maybe as one of these horses moves on and we can follow one of them. Anytime. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Marcus Hirsch was with us on the Black and Blue Report. Back in a moment. All-Star Electric is lighting up the future with the latest in LED lighting. All-Star Electric specializes in the installation and conversion of the newest LED lighting products. This lasting investment is virtually maintenance-free and offers significant savings on your next electricity bill. This is Tim Blanchard, president of All-Star Electric. Let us evaluate your building, parking lot, or home for an LED conversion because we know we can save you some money. In New Orleans, food is more than a passion, it's a tradition. And Zatarain's has been part of that tradition for 125 years. From jambalaya and dirty rice to crab boil and more, Zatarain's has been jazzing up dinner since before there was jazz. And we're excited about what next season might bring. Jazz it up tonight with Zatarain's, proud sponsor of the New Orleans Pelicans. Want to listen to the Black and Blue Report on your phone? Download the Saints and Pelicans app today.
Hey, more Pelicans tonight on your radio. The Monty Williams Show is back at you at 8 Central on the flagship station of the Pelicans Radio Network. Monty Williams Show, 8 to 8.30 on WWL-FM. That's 105.3 FM. We've got a lot to discuss with Coach as we get uh, now into these final 11 games. If you are unable to get in front or around a radio tonight, we'll have that interview with Coach Williams for you on tomorrow's Black and Blue Report. That's the Friday edition. There is also a uh, significant announcement today coming out of this facility on Airline Drive, and we'll have a reaction and uh, more to it tomorrow. Um, We're recording our podcast today prior to the announcement, so I am not one to be a spoiler of uh, fun announcements. So, therefore, uh, you'll know soon enough, and we'll, uh, we'll have some discussion on it tomorrow on the Friday edition of the Black and Blue Report. We'll also be getting you ready for the game against the Sacramento Kings. Big day tomorrow, uh, not only here on Airline Drive, but at the Smoothie King Center as well. Our thanks to our guest today, uh, Sean Payton, of course, as we continue to play you some of the audio from his visit in Phoenix. Marcus Hirsch from the Daily Racing Forum, head coach Monty Williams and Anthony Davis, thanking them for their reaction to last night's game against the Rockets. Daniel Salerson, as always, in studio B with me today. We hope that you have a great rest of your Thursday and help us spread the word about the podcast for Saints and Pelicans fans. The Black and Blue Report, I'm Sean Kelly. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Black and Blue Report. If all goes well, we'll be back tomorrow. Tune in each weekday at 12 p.m. or at your convenience exclusively online at NewOrleansSaints.com and Pelicans.com. Follow your teams direct from the source. The Black and Blue Report.